Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. Welcome to uh, Line by Line, and uh, this is our second week in the exposition of the Book of Numbers. <clears throat> if you missed the first one, it's online and uh, available to you. Kind of an introduction to the book and uh, raising such issues as the fact that it's about a lot more than numbers. But the numbers are also in there, and the numbers are important. But first, let's begin with prayer. Father, we are so thankful that you give us every single word of Scripture, every word. Father, there is not an extra word in it, and there is not a word missing from it. And that is by your grace and to your glory. We pray to open our eyes that we would see. And we pray to see more than just what we expect to see in the book of Numbers. Father, may we see your glory. May we find your gospel. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, my ambition this morning is to cover chapters 2 and 3 uh, in, in the session this morning. And it is because I think it's best taken as a unit, and that, that unit, frankly, continues into chapter 4, but we will save that for next week. As I was praying, I, I mentioned specifically, we pray to see the gospel. And you're not expecting to see the gospel in the book of Numbers, but you should be. And I think you'll recognize it when you see it. It sneaks up on you and seems to come out of, out of nowhere. When we concluded our study of chapter 1 last week, we had the description of the exemption of the Levites from the census. And of all the tribes, Levi was to be the one tribe that was left out in a different position such that uh, as, as a priesthood reserved to the Lord, although more about that later, uh, they were not counted in the census because their job was not going to be to fight for Israel because that's why the numbers originated. Remember, the census was taken in order to know how many men between the ages of 20 and 60 were available tribe by tribe. And so that census uh, gave them the total, and of course that was 600,000 plus. But it, the numbers were important, and the numbers were variable. The tribe of Judah was by far the largest of the tribes, but there were other tribes, and all the variable numbers, they will turn out to be important. And it's not so much that the writer of the book of Numbers, who is Moses, or at least, you know, the, the Mosaic authorship is behind this. It, it, it's not that Moses will come right out and say, here's why that number is so important. It will be in context. We'll all of a sudden understand. Sometimes in retrospect, that's why that number was important. As we begin chapter 2, having just had the Levitical exemption explained to us, we begin once as, a, 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 again, you see, just as we had in Leviticus, the formula that begins this pericope is the Lord speaking to Moses and Aaron. Okay, so the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, The people of Israel shall camp, each by its own standard, with the banners of their fathers' houses. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. Those to camp on the east side, toward the sunrise, shall be of the standard of the camp of Judah by their companies, the chief of the people of Judah being Nashon, the son of Amminadad. This company... His company is listed being 74,600. Those who came next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar, the chief of the people of Issachar being Nathaniel, the son of Zuar. His company is listed as being 54,400. 
Then the tribe of Zebulun, the chief of the people of Zebulun being Eliab, the son of Helon, his company listed as being 57,400. All those listed of the camp of Judah by their companies were 186,400. They shall set out first on the march. Okay, so we have two different conditions of Israel described here. One is on the march and the other is in the camp. And, and much will be made of what it means to be in the camp. And during the entire experience of Israel in the book of Numbers, they'll be marching only from camp to camp. In other words, this is, this is not even on the brink of the land of promise. That's the book of Deuteronomy. So this is the long period between the giving of the law and the conquest of Jordan. So this is going to cover an incredibly long period of time. During this time, Israel is going to be camping and marching. And they're going to be marching in the wilderness. But the numbers tell us that Israel is now so numerous that you have to have some organization for Israel to march. But the organization turns out to be fascinating in salvation history. As you picture the camp, picture the tabernacle or the tent of meeting in the center. And then around it will be arrayed the assembly of the 12 tribes. But there's a good reason to keep these tribes separate. There's a, there's a reason why we live in neighborhoods. There's a reason why, sociologically speaking, uh, we don't just all live in one giant tent. That would not, that would not be conducive uh, to good behavior. You've you, you got to have workable units. And the listing, for example, here of, of Judah and what follows... It's partly responsible by even the standards and the organization and the leader, you know, every one of them named here. It, it, it's so that someone's in charge of maintaining order. If you're going to have a camp like this with hundreds of thousands of people in the wilderness, someone, a lot of people actually, are going to have to be involved in providing order. Now, if you look at this, you realize this is the typical ancient Near Eastern military structure. Typical right down to the standards. To, to mark every one of the camps, you're going to have a standard on a pole. And you know what it looks like? Pretty much what it looks like right now in American military life, where there's a pole and there's a distinctive cloth standard, something like a flag, and it is posted wherever the commanding officer is. It's just, this, this happens you know, in contemporary military life. It goes back to the Roman legions, and it goes back far further to that. It goes back to the Hittites and, and, and the ancient Babylonians. You have units. Militaries are not just a mass of men with spears. There has to be some organization, and the organization is absolutely key to the structure. You see the organization reflected here. As we begin looking at chapter 2, we begin by being told that these, these tribes are going to camp on the periphery of the tabernacle. Their reference will be the tabernacle. And then look at verse 3. Those to camp on the east side toward the sunrise shall be the standard of the camp of Judah by their companies. So Judah and its related tribes. Why the east? Why the east? We are familiar with an eastern star. We're familiar with uh, the star that shall rise in the east. We are familiar with the sun coming up in the east. We're familiar with the eastern language. It's important for us to recognize the eastern orientation was so important 
that the tent of meeting was set so that its entry faced directly to the east. Now, here's something else you might not realize, and this was very common in the literature of the, of the ancient world, and in particular, the ancient Near East. At night, especially on a cloudy night, it is very easy to become disoriented. Now, remember, Israel is in the wilderness, and the wilderness is the wilderness, and this kind of wilderness might better be described as a desert or scrub. We're not even talking about trees, just desert and scrub. And by the way, it reminds me the first time I was in Amarillo, Texas. I grew up in Florida, went to college in Birmingham, seminary in Louisville. That's my orientation. My orientation is the eastern United States. First time I went to Amarillo, Texas, I had a very nice family hosting me for dinner. They showed me to their backyard, and then they pointed to a shrub, and they said, that's our tree. And the Easterner in me wanted to say, that's a, that's a shrub. <laughs> but not only that, they were proud of it because it was the biggest tree in the neighborhood. Now, this was on a particular side of town that had lots of high winds, and that was part of it. So other parts of town had some bigger trees. But, you know, you look at that and you go, wow. At least if you had a tree, even a big shrub, even in the middle of the night, if you knew where it was, you can know what the direction is. One of the problems for Israel is that it was so easy and remains very easy to become disoriented in the desert. But there is one thing that happens every 24 hours that resets the orientation. What is that one thing that resets the orientation every 24 hours? It's sunrise. The sun rises in the east. And the, the east was given a very spiritual meaning, as you know, even in Messianic prophecy. And so, and this facing the east. So it, it, it is facing to the east. And by the way, the conquest is going to be to the east. So... These tribes are to be gathered as divisions of war, and they are to have their standard in front. They're to be organized with reference to the tabernacle and the prize place. So if you picture, if you picture a rectangle, which is what this is, the prize place is going to be on the eastern defense of the tabernacle. And, and that's where you're going to have Judah at the top. And then the lesser clans of Judah to the south. You need to picture a rectangle because the tabernacle itself is a rectangle and it's oriented from east to west. The long way is from east to west. You have a rectangle and it's on the east that the opening, the door is to be found. And it's to the east that these tribes will be oriented to protect the tabernacle, but also to protect the, the children of Israel in general. As you see in verse 3, those to camp on the east side toward the sunrise shall be of the standard of the camp of Judah by their companies. And, and then you notice that then the tribe of Issachar, and then you see also the tribe of Zebulun. So that turns out to be really, really, really important. As you continue, verse 
In verse 10, on the south side shall be the standard of the camp of Reuben by their companies, the chief of the people of Reuben being Eliezer, Eliezer, um, the son of Shadur, his company listed at 46,500, and those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon, the chief of the people of Simeon being Shemuel, the son of Zerishadai. His company is listed being 59,300. Then the people of Gad, the chief of the people of Gad being Elisaph, the son of Ruel, his company is listed as 45,650. All those listed of the camp of Reuben by their companies were 151,450. They shall set out second. So I want you to notice that this is the south. So Reuben is going to be in the east. And then after Reuben, you're going to have Simeon and then Gad. And, and as you look at it, you recognize they are in order for military march, all of them. And so you have the men and the women living together with their families. They're living by these tribes with their standard out front. They're divided. They have their own responsibilities. They take care of each other first and foremost, but then, of course, they're a part of one nation. And as they're allied here, this is not just for the defense of the camp against an outside enemy, although these, these tribes as a military formation, will completely surround the rectangle of the tabernacle with a far larger military rectangle. But they also are to march in order. So you have Judah and his tribes going with him, and then you have Zebulun to the south. Verse 17, Then the tent of meeting shall set out, but the camp of the Levites in the midst of the camps as they camp, so shall they set out each in position standard by standard. So if there is to be a military march, and there will be, then you're going to have Judah and his clan start out first, and then Zebulun and his clans come second, and then what comes next is not another, another formation of the tribes, but rather you're going to have the Levites who have just been given at the end of chapter 1 as this special tribe of all the tribes of Israel for the service of the tabernacle. And the reason is because they are in charge of moving the tabernacle. And so in a march, the tabernacle is not going to come last simply because it's always going to be surrounded. It's going to come in the middle. So you have six tribes on the march, and then will come the Levites with the tent of meeting. And then the other six tribes will be behind them. First of all, first of all, they have the ones on the west. On the west side, west side shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim by their companies, the chief of the people of Ephraim being Elishama, the son of Amahud. His company is listed as being 40,500. And next him shall be the tribe of Manasseh, the chief of the people of Manasseh being Gamaliel, the son of Pitahazur. His company is listed being 32,200. Then the tribe of Benjamin, the chief of the people of Benjamin, being Abaddon, the son of Gideonai, that's, I guess it's Gideonai, his company as listed being 35,400. All those listed of the camp of Ephraim by their companies were 108,100. They shall set out third on the march. So if you're looking at the rectangle, we have the east side with Judah, the south side, the chief tribe being Zebulun, and then uh, as you go to the, the west side, you have Ephraim. But Ephraim isn't listed from the south to the north, but from the north to the south, because that's the priority in putting all of this together. So this is, the main tribe is that of Ephraim. So you have Ephraim and Manasseh and Benjamin 
on the west side. At least the north, which comes in chapter 2, verse 25, on the north side shall be the standard of the camp of Dan by their companies, the chief of the people of Dan being Eliezer, the son of Amishadai, his company as listed being 62,700. And those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Asher, the chief of the people of Asher being Pagiel, the son of Akron. His company is listed as 41,500. Then the tribe of Naphtali, the chief of the people of Naphtali being Ahira, the son of Enon, this company is listed being 53,400. All those listed at the camp of Dan were 157,600. They shall set out last standard by standard. So now you have the, uh, the north being Dan and Asher and Naphtali. We have all 12 of those tribes in the order of battle and in the order of camp on the east, on the south, on the west, and on the north. You have the Levites in the middle, and they are camped out to protect again and mostly to serve. It's the others who are in the, the really the protection responsibility. They're, they're responsible to serve and to minister in the tabernacle and then to take care of it, assembling it, disassembling it, transporting it, caring for it, making sure the ministration is within it, whether they are in the camp or on the march. Now, at this point, we just need to recognize Israel had to know this. This is not just dispassionate historical records. That's, that's something you might think of. You might look at this and say, you know, I guess all things being equal, this is a good thing to know about Israel. No, it's, it's a lot more than that. This is God caring for Israel because Israel otherwise would be absolutely in disarray. Now, this gets to one of the primary questions of, uh, of human organization and political theory. And that's not probably where you expected to go this morning. But one of the big questions in political theory throughout all the ages has been, what is the one thing, one thing that is prerequisite to all others? And, and in reality, the, the central conservative insight throughout all of, of human history and understanding it is that order is foundational to everything that follows. That, for instance, order is prior to liberty. You can only have liberty after you have some agreed upon order. Otherwise, out of liberty, you'll never get order, but out of order, you can't get liberty, which is why in the American constitutional system, our liberty is often referred to as ordered liberty. And that's to say, it's not absolute liberty, it's not libertinism, it's the liberty of a constitutional system, it's liberty within an existing order. On the briefing this past week, I talked about the election in El Salvador. And in El Salvador, extra-constitutionally, they just elected their president to a second term, which is unconstitutional, but it just happened anyway. The Constitutional Court gave an exception for him to run uh, for a second term. He's, he's young, and he is basically a dictator. He's an elected dictator, you might say, or an elected totalitarian. Why was he overwhelmingly elected? It is because before he was elected, you could not walk safely on the streets of San Salvador. And now, now San Salvador is the lowest murder rate of any nation in the region. He, he has established order. The economy is functioning once again. Children can leave their house once again. The schools can operate once again. The gangs have been largely, at least 
for now and temporarily, if not permanently, uh, put out of business. Now, there's a downside to it, of course. You, the loss of liberty. It's, a, it's unquestionable. There's a downside, which is basically the suspension of constitutional government. There's a downside, including the question about due process or many of the people who are now in prison. But the reality is he established order, and the point is that the people of El Salvador had the opportunity to say, we believe that liberty is prior to order, or to say order is prior to liberty, and then with their vote, they overwhelmingly said order is prior to liberty. If we establish order, we might get back to liberty, but you give us back liberty, it's going to fall immediately into disorder. Well, my point this morning is not the ongoing debates in political science. It's just to say all that's reflected here. Israel's experience is that when it is sinful, it falls into disorder. When Israel is obedient, this order is its protection, it's its security. I think anyone who's worked with human beings knows how important this is. And especially, you know, let's just say that you're not, and, and I'm going to mention the Boy Scouts. Just put a footnote on this. I mean the Boy Scouts back when the Boy Scouts were boys and like, that was uncontroversial. Just go back. Back when I was a boy and I was a Boy Scout, I got to go to big jamborees, okay? What could go wrong? Let's just say you have tons of 12 to 14, 15-year-old boys in the woods, lots of them. Okay, how in the world do you make sense of that? Well, in number one, we were in a troop, okay? And the troop, you had a troop leader, we had a scoutmaster, we were troop 136 at Pompano Beach, Florida, okay? So... We knew who we were. We even had an insignia. We had a number on our Boy Scout shirt. And we thought that was cool because it was just like saying, we're of this. And now I realize it was also so that anything happened, they could see the shirt and get us at least back to the right troop. It was right there on our shirt. But, you know, again, what could go wrong? Well, everything could go wrong. I mean, what same person would, would take hundreds and hundreds, if not eventually thousands of these jamborees, 12 to 15-year-old boys, set them loose in the woods, and you know, again, this looks like a very promising operation. You know, you snap your fingers, and it's Lord of the Flies. You know, there's going to be a pig speared somewhere, if you haven't, if you haven't read, you know, I mean, it's just, this is, this is very, very, very bad news, okay? So you, you have to add civilization to this mix in a big hurry. And, uh, okay, so you do that. Uh, all right, so let me just ask you the question. How much better is it to go to a school board meeting and see 30, 40, and 50-year-olds engaging? You still, you still realize this is, this is not, this is only a marginal improvement over 15. There, there is a certain sense in which we've got to have order, we have to have this broken down, we have to, we have, to have all kinds of systems to make things work. God gave Israel the systems. Israel didn't have to develop this. Israel is given the battle plan, and that's what this is. I don't know if you saw it or not, but they shall, be, they shall march first. This is a battle plan. And so Judah, which is the most numerous of the clans and, and, and will end up having a lot of priority, it's to, in the front. And, and so you, don't, you, 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 put, you put your strongest, most courageous, most intact group in the front. 
and, and then they follow in the order you have here. You also have different levels. So even as there are 12 tribes on the march, plus the Levites, you really have four lead tribes being Judah and Reuben and Ephraim and Dan. So even within the four, and that, that corresponds to the four sides of the rectangle, which corresponds to the four sides of the tabernacle, uh, you have order. And, you know, everybody knows where they are. And, again, I, I, I love the insight that uh, actually breaks through in the text from time to time, that even if there's disorder, you know, at some time in the clouds, in the dark, in battle, every, every sunrise there's a reset. <laughs> so at least every sunrise, everybody knows how to get back into position. Because undeniably, wherever the sun comes up, that is the east, okay? So that is where you're going to find Judah and Issachar and Zebulun. Everything else is going to fall into place. All right. So we have the, the four sides here. But then we're down to verse 32. These are the people of Israel as listed by their father's houses. All those listed in the camps by their companies were 603,550. So there's that, that same number again. But the Levites were not listed among the people of Israel as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus did the people of Israel, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they camped by their standards, and so they set out, each one in his clan, according to his father's house. So, you know, amazingly enough, you look at this and you think, well, okay, this is the basic structure of Israel. I mean, everything we're going to know about Israel going forward, as, as you think about Israel's history, you think about the conquest, you think about the land of Israel, the land of promise, and how things are divided. This is an indication of the continuing order of Israel, and it's also reflected, of course, not only in biblical prophecy, but references that are found, numerous references, in the New Testament. Well, by the way, including the preeminence of the tribe of Judah, the Lion of Judah. It's, a, it's, it's all here in embryonic form. So we've just gone through chapter 2. And, and, and if, we, if we skipped anything that was important, it's just reminding ourselves that as you think about the names of these clans, it goes back to the patriarch Jacob and the sons given to Jacob and his wives. That's where these tribes come from. And uh, so... Uh, you know, the Leah's sons are here, Rachel's sons are here, and Jacob is the father in the most proximate sense, the patriarch of these clans. And of course, behind Jacob is uh, Abraham. And between Abraham and Jacob is Isaac. So this is all the promise of Israel. This is all the history of Israel right now, right here in the book of Numbers, camped in the wilderness, looking as inauspicious as possible, and with the greatest danger being absolute disarray, the Lord is bringing order which will become the holy nation. So this is Israel, already described as his holy nation, but it doesn't look like a nation, it's much people in the woods, and, and, and the woods here is a compliment, in the middle of the desert. So... This is order out of disorder, and it's order that has a very important theological flow of biblical theology lesson for us. There'll be more and more to come. 
But then in chapter 3, we begin by reading, These are the generations of Aaron and Moses at the time when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab the firstborn, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests, whom he ordained to serve as priests. But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests in the lifetime of Aaron, their father. Now, we're going to go back to that, but I want you to see what comes next. Next comes reference to the Levites, the Levitical priesthood. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. Okay, just hold on for a moment. This is an area of widespread confusion among Christians. And a part of it is the language we use. So let's just think about the language and let's just Be careful, let's isolate what we're talking about, because if we get this wrong, we're going to get a lot of things wrong going all the way to Christ. You know, if we get this wrong, we're going to be wrong all the way to the book of Hebrews, where we have a great high priest. Things Things are going to get wrong. Okay, so you have this one tribe, the tribe of Levi. And, and it's going to get fascinating very fast. But we're not there yet, but we have, we have Levi. So they're referred to as the Levites, okay? You knew that, but let's just remind ourselves. The term, the Levites. Are all the Levites priests? No. There are no priests who are not Levites, but not all the Levites are priests. And this, we mess up. And, and I mean, preachers do this all the time. And it's not that they so much make errors, it's that they say things, and then, you know, in the congregation, our minds can go all kinds of different directions. So, for instance, you will hear references to the Aaronic priesthood, that is the priesthood of Aaron and his descendants, and then you'll hear the Levitical priesthood, and I've actually heard people say that these are two different priesthoods. No, Israel has a priesthood. It does not have two priesthoods. But then you look and you'll see the assignments given to the to the Levites, even as we saw sometimes in Leviticus, just in terms of what was being set up, this is the elaboration and the declaration. But So the Levites, this tribe is set for the ministry of the temple and, 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 and what is now the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. So they're going to minister at the temple. They're going to minister even to the temple. And out of Levi will come all the priests, the Aaronic priesthood. But not all the Levites are priests. All the priests are Levites. So think of this, think of Israel, and then think of the tribe of Levi, and that's the Levites, it's Levitical. In Levi is Aaron and his priesthood. So the priesthood is in the Levites, and all of the male Levites have responsibilities at the temple, but only Aaron and his descendants are the priests. The best way I know to explain it. It's just like, you know, you get concentric circles, they're going to get smaller. So you have Israel, okay, smaller circle of the Levites, okay, smaller circle in the Levites, Aaron and his sons. And right here in, in Numbers chapter 3, we have the reminder of, of course, what took place uh, back as we saw with the rebellion of Aaron's sons. And uh, the crucial way for us to, to think about this is just to remember that 
we're talking about an absolute disaster back in Leviticus 10. So let's just look at it very quickly. Now Adab, actually starts with Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. And now that, that's one of the most well-known passages from the Old Testament. It's also one of the most puzzling to us. And it's meant to be puzzling. So this is not a fault in the Scripture. This is a, this is a say, in computer world, it's not a bug, it's a feature. Okay? We aren't to know what exactly the strange fire was. All we're to know is that they did what was not authorized in worship. And this is the worship of the one high God who has rescued Israel out of Egypt and has set them as his people and given them a sacrificial system and a system of worship and liturgy. And they were told, do this. And they didn't do it. They did something else. And the Lord, after their strange fire, sent fire that consumed them. And as you see here, Aaron is... Very aware of this at this point in Leviticus chapter 10, what we're told is that he kept his peace. There, there'll be more about that later. But going back to Numbers, this is a significant challenge for Israel because Aaron had four sons, two of them are dead, and we are just told here in Numbers they had no descendants. So the totality of the priesthood is going to come from half of Aaron's sons. They're going to have to get busy, they're going to have to have a lot of sons. In verse 3, these are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priests, whom he ordained to serve as priests. But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests in the lifetime of Aaron, their father. Okay. Just a historical reminder. But that also situates the priesthood in the tribe of Levi. But... We have Levi, the Levites, the Levitical priesthood, but we have the Levitical servants, and that's the other thing. They, so there isn't a man in Levi whose responsibility isn't directed directly to the tabernacle, but not all of them are priests. All right. The ones who are not priests, and they're just referred to as the Levites. What are they to do? Verse 5, And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. So they're referred to as those who minister at the tabernacle. In another sense, they minister to the tabernacle because they're the ones who set it up, put it down, transport it, are responsible for protecting it. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister in the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons 
They are wholly given to him from among the people of Israel. And you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall guard their priesthood. But if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. All right, this, this is where things get a little confusing as well. So you have the Levites given to Aaron. Aaron's not specifically tied to Levi. But on the other hand, the Levitical priesthood is exactly what's being described here. You'll notice that a very stern warning is given to the Levites. They shall guard their priesthood, but if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. So it goes back to the same principle you saw with Nadab and Abihu. If you come near to the tabernacle where you do not belong, if, if, if you intrude towards the holy place, then you forfeit your life. That's how seriously the guarding of the tabernacle shall be taken. Then verse 11. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levite shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and of beast. They shall be mine, I am the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, List the sons of Levi by fathers' houses and by clans. Every male from a month old and upward you shall list. So Moses listed them according to the word of the Lord as he was commanded. And these were the sons of Levi by their names, Gershon and Kohath and Merari. And these are the names of the sons of Gershon by their clans, Libni and Shimei. And the sons of Kohath by their clans, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. And the sons of Merari by their clans, Mahli and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites by their fathers' houses. To Gershon belonged the clan of the Libnites and the clan of the Shimeites. These were the clans of the Gershonites. Their listing, according to the number of all the males from a month old and upward, was 7,500. The clans of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle in the west with Esaseph, the son of Lael, as, son, as chief of the father's house of the Gershonites. And the guard duty of the sons of Gershon in the tent of meeting involved the tabernacle, the tent of its meeting, the screen to the entrance of the tent of meeting, the hangings of the court, and the screen for the door of the court that is around the tabernacle and the altar and its cords, all the service connected with these. So you have these three different groups who are given different sets of responsibilities. So every time the tabernacle has to be put up and taken down, they don't have to say, well, hey, who's going to do what here, you know? Who's handling this? No, all the assignments are given by the Lord right here in the third chapter of Numbers. We're going to do this quickly because it's just good that we know it. To Kohath belonged the clan of the Emramites and the clan of the Izzarites and the clan of the Hebronites and the clan of the Uzielites. These are the clans of the Kohathites. According to the number of all the males, from a month old and upward, there were 8,600 keeping guard over the sanctuary. The clans of the sons of Kohath were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle with Ezaphan, the son of Uziel, the chief of, their, of the father's house of the clans of the Kohathites. And their guard duty involved the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the vessels of the sanctuary with which the priests minister, and the screen, all the service connected with these. 
And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the chiefs of the Levites and to have oversight of those who kept guard over the sanctuary. So there's Eleazar, the son of Aaron, his assignment you see there. To Merari belonged the clan of the Mahalites and the clan of the Mushites. These are the clans of Merari. They're listing according to the number of all the males from a month old and upward was 6,200. And the chief of the father's house of the clans of Merari were Zuriel, the son of Abihail. They were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle. And the appointed guard duty of the sons of Merari involved the frames of the tabernacle, the bars, the pillars, the bases, and all their accessories, all the services connected with these, also the pillars around the court with their bases and pegs and cords. Those who were to camp before the tabernacle to the east, before the tent of meeting toward the sunrise, were Moses and Aaron and his sons, guarding the sanctuary itself to protect the children of Israel and any outsider who came near was to be put to death. All those listed among the Levites whom Moses and Aaron listed at the commandment of the Lord by clans, all the males from a month old and upward, were 22,000. Okay, so you have a picture in your mind. You have the rectangle of the tabernacle with the opening to the east. It faces the east. Orientation, the long sides are on the north and the south. The short sides on the east and the west. The east is the opening, faces the sunrise. The 12 tribes are gathered around them with the prime of place given to Judah at the north of the eastern side. Inside of those tribes and inside of those assemblies will be the Levites, and they're assorted into three different groupings, as you see here. They also have responsibility. So they are a buffer between the tribes and the tabernacle. And then pride of place there is given to Moses and Aaron's And to Moses and Aaron and their families, their sons, who are right behind the outer divisions representing Israel and guarding in the camp. And and the leadership of Moses and Aaron is so sacrosanct that like the tabernacle, this is what's interesting, like the tabernacle, the encampment or the place of Aaron and Moses is to be protected such that if anyone goes there unauthorized, they are to be killed. To, this, is, this is the Lord's prophet. This is their general. The Lord says, protect him. Okay, now, I don't know if you've seen the gospel yet. I mean the gospel in the very language that we speak the gospel. I don't know if you've seen it yet. You know, now, you saw it about to come. You may not have noticed it, and you're not to be faulted for that. But something's going to click real fast. And you're going to realize, wow, there's a picture of the gospel. We're we're in Numbers chapter 3. We're deep into the structure of the assembly and the assignments of the tribes of Israel and and the defense of the tabernacle. How in the world, where's the gospel? Where, where, Where are those words that we associate with the gospel? Well, they're coming right now. Beginning in verse 40 of chapter 3. And the Lord said to Moses, list all the firstborn males of the people of Israel from a month old and upward, taking the number of their names. And you shall take the Levites for me. I am the Lord instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel and the cattle of the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the cattle of the people of Israel. So Moses listed all the firstborn among the people of Israel as the Lord commanded him. And all the firstborn males, according to the number of names from a month old and upward, as listed, were 22,273. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel and the cattle of the Levites instead of their cattle. The Levites shall be mine. I am the Lord. And as the redemption price for the 273 of the firstborn of the people of Israel, over and above the number of the male Levites, you shall take five shekels per head. You shall take them according to the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel of 20 geras, and give the money to Aaron and his sons as the redemption price for those who are over. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the people of Israel, he took the money. 1,365 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons according to the word of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. All of a sudden here, out of nowhere, you have substitution. You have divine redemption. You have the word redemption. What in the world's happening here? There's a fundamental shift that you you may not even remember as you think about biblical history. And even as you tell the story of the Passover... When the Lord, of course, on that last and most deadly of plagues, protected the children of Israel from the death of the firstborn by, of course, the the blood on the the doorway, the mantle. The blood on the doorpost meant that the angel of death passed by. But then God said, then I claim for my own the firstborn, the firstborn male of every home. The firstborn male of every family is mine. And the firstborn offspring of every cow is mine. The firstborn of all the cattle is mine. So up until this point, this point right here, there was a special call, a special purchase, a special requirement of the Lord for all the firstborn. Firstborn males, sons, and the firstborn cattle. And now God himself makes a substitution. He substitutes the entire tribe of Levi for the firstborn sons of Israel. The firstborn sons of Israel are redeemed by a substitution when instead to be reserved for the Lord's service is the tribe of Levi. And there's an incommensurability in terms of the numbers. There are more sons than Levites. And so there's a purchase price that is made for their redemption. Where's all this coming from? Where's this language? This This is New Testament language. This is atonement language. This is gospel language about divine election and divine action and a divine substitution and redemption and a redemption price. It's, it's all right here. It, it's out of the blue in Numbers chapter 3. The first substitution we see here in terms of this picture, not the first substitution in Scripture, that, that has to do with sacrifice. The first substitution in Scripture that we see in this light of, of, of God showing Israel how it's going to work, it, it is the substitution of the Levites now 
as unto the Lord rather than the firstborn sons of all the families of Israel. And it's not just God saying, oh, by the way, I am changing this dispensation. That's not it. He requires redemption. And the redemption is one for one so long as there are enough Levites. But those who are not covered by that number have to pay a redemption price. The redemption price goes to Aaron and his sons for the the tabernacle. I, I think this is one of the most amazing things about the Old Testament in general. I think it's absolutely amazing about the book of Numbers. And as we come to a conclusion, I, I'm, I just want to remind you that this is one of the reasons why the book of Numbers is just a whole lot more than what you expect. And, and, and what we have just seen is amplified going forward. Yeah, there are a lot of numbers, there are a lot of specifics, uh, but I don't know about you, but it really helps me to be reminded of the layout of the tabernacle and of the array of the tribes and of the fact that these are the sons of Jacob by his wives as a salvation history walking in the wilderness, and already there's a substitution. There's a redemption. There's a redemption price. We all know where this is pointing, and we, we know that it is pointing to Jerusalem in one sense, but it's pointing to an ultimate redemption and an ultimate substitution and an ultimate redemption price. So we will pick up here when we are together next week. It's been an honor to look at this text with you and to find that out of all of the description of the array of Israel for battle comes a foretaste of the gospel. Let's pray. Our Father, we're just so thankful for all you've given us in Scripture. Thank you for this this chapter, these two chapters we've considered today. Father, we pray that you will apply these words to our heart, that we might not sin against thee. Amen. Thank you for coming.